the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined from Israel by Dr. Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador to the United States, former deputy minister in the uh, Netanyahu last permanent government. He's also the author of a brand new novel, To All Who Call in Truth, which I am greatly enjoying, Michael. I got the audio book. I have listened to about half of it. I'm up to the uh, uh, saps not doing an investigation into the squirrel incident. And I am just genuinely enjoying it. Well done. I'm sorry your book dropped in the middle of a war, though. (laughs) <laughs> they seem to always do that, to tell you the truth. Uh, I don't know. Maybe someone's telling me something. Good to be with you here. We're, we're in the middle of a, of a major uh, uptick in the fighting in the South. Um, very large barrages hitting the South this morning. Um, people uh, seriously injured. And, um, you know, there's much talk about an impending ceasefire, but I don't see any sign of it right now. I wanted to ask you about two things, the ceasefire and the political situation in Israel. First, the ceasefire. President Biden, I went back and compared with President Obama, has followed exactly the construction that President Obama used in the last Gaza War of 2014. But in 10 days, President Obama went from Israel has a right to defend itself to demanding a unilateral ceasefire. Do you expect the same thing from Team Biden? Not demanding. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons. First of all, there was context. Um, when Obama made that demand, Israel was operating on the ground. And I don't see any large-scale uh, ground operation in the works right now. Um, we haven't called up the requisite number of, of reservists. There hasn't been that type of buildup along the border. You need of strategically 15,000, 70,000 soldiers. I don't see that right now. So that's one. Um, two, um, <laughs> what can I say? President Biden is not President Obama. Uh, America was in a different position globally back then to, to make that type of demands. Um, America has withdrawn a lot from the Middle East, and that has it, it, it impacted its leverage. And so the, the, the means through which this administration can pressure Israel are not, what it were, are not what they were 10 years ago. I am also impressed by what I understand to be and appears to be an evolution weaponry so that Israel, with using precision munitions that can go deep, is systematically destroying the so-called metro. Am I right about that? Yes, you're right about that. And that, that has relieved uh, some of the pressure on us to go in on the ground, because now you can do it in the air with what soldiers had to do on the ground before, actually going, you know, you know, ferreting into these holes and blowing them up, which was tremendously dangerous uh, for our soldiers. We lost a number of soldiers doing that. Um, so, yeah, that's a big improvement. Um, I think that uh, behind all this, and we can't lose sight of the, the big strategic picture here, and that is who, who is behind this, <laughs> behind this, is the major backer of Hamas, the exclusive owner and operator of Islamic Jihad, which is Iran. And that's the same Iran with which uh, this administration is engaged in negotiations to renew the 2015 uh, Iran nuclear deal. And I think that, you know, while credit has to be given to this administration for standing by Israel and upholding our right to uh, defend ourselves, I, I also question, you know, at the end of this, uh, when we go back into that 
negotiation with the uh, with the Iranians about the JCPOA, uh, will the administration say, well, listen, Israel, uh, we stood by you in your hour of need in Gaza. Now, uh, why don't you stand down a little bit while we renew this nuclear deal? So, Dr. Warren, you're a very sober judge of these things. So I just ask you, uh, is Hamas reeling? That's an American term that I think applies to lots of wars. Is the enemy reeling? Okay, everything you know about war, <laughs> everything you know about conflict, uh, when it comes to Hamas, throw it out. You, okay, that uh, for them reeling, for them suffering loss to a very large extent is a good thing. Okay, it makes them look like heroes. It makes them look like they are suffering for the Palestinian cause. Um, if Israel inflicts damage on civilians in uh, Gaza, inadvertently, it's good for Hamas. I've spoken before on this program how Iron Dome is a double-edged sword, yet it creates disproportionality. It enables Hamas to say, look, look at all how we're suffering while the Israelis aren't suffering hardly at all. Um, so they get credit for firing rockets at us, but they also get credit when we, when we shoot back at them. Um, everything you understand. Uh, it was very difficult. For a year and a half, I was in charge of Gaza for the Israeli government. And it took me a long time to wrap my head around the fact that, that Hamas actually likes a humanitarian disaster in Gaza. It likes keeping the Palestinian people with, with nothing to lose, keeping them dependent on Hamas. They are immensely cruel. They use hundreds of kids to dig these tunnels, and hundreds of kids are killed every year digging this tunnel. They don't care. All right? The international community doesn't care, but the Hamas doesn't care. Uh, everything you know about <laughs> pretty much about human beings, you can throw out the window when you talk about Hamas. Wow. That's really revealing. By the way, so is your Hadassah article on Israel at 100. I don't know when you wrote that. It's incredibly timely right now. It is, yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, yes. Um, you know, I also live in Jaffa. We've had some, you know, we've had some violence there, street violence. Uh, was, I was always very proud to say that I lived with a mixed community, that we lived together, Jews and Arabs, in harmony. Uh, some of that harmony was, was disrupted this week. Uh, it's important to note, though, that, that the area where there were disturbances were almost exclusively areas that were very poor, working-class areas, a lot of unemployment both among Arab and uh, uh, Jewish youth. Uh, and we have to address not only the, the ethnic issue, but also the economic issue. Now, it's very big. You know, Israel is an economic miracle, but only for part of the population that's involved in high tech. Uh, we have a very big social gap. So now to the political question, Dr. Oren. Uh, I read the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel, and Ynet News. I can barely find a mention of what is going on in coalition negotiations. And I believe it's probably out of respect for those who are on the front line and in the bomb shelters and those who have been killed and those who have been injured. Nevertheless, there is a deadline approaching for the, uh, the government either to, to be formed by the opposition or to pass to the Knesset. What is going on? Can you just expound on what you understand to be going on with uh, the prime minister and his allies and foes? Well, there's scuttlebutt. And lots of it. Uh, and there's conspiracy theories. The conspiracy theories that, that Netanyahu basically precipitated uh, this crisis in order to foil the attempts uh, of the anti-BB camp to form a coalition with the explicit or implicit support of the Arab parties. That became impossible once this fighting started. And today the Arab uh, communities of Israel are having a general strike, so it makes it even more difficult. Um, now the recent scuttlebutt is that, uh, that Benjamin Netanyahu and Benny Gantz are secretly in cahoots. Uh, to keep uh, the current coalition in place, and that, uh, that Benny Gantz will become prime minister for 18 months. 
but in, in a kind of strange arrangement, Netanyahu will remain in Balfour, that's uh, Israel's White House, and he will retain the status of a prime minister so that he can appear in court and his corruption trials as prime minister, because if he's not prime minister, he has to resign. Now, that would require an update to the law, would it not? Because if you're not the prime minister, even if you're living at the prime minister's house, you don't have immunity. Yeah, you have to get a tweak into the law. No question about that. That, that, would, that would be the glue that would cement this, this deal together. And I imagine that's a sine qua non for, for Netanyahu, because he's not about to resign. And so what happens to Natali Bennett in this? He was supposed to come back. I thought there would be, and you and I talked about the potential of a Netanyahu-Gantz coalition last week, but I, Bennett had leverage. Does he not have any leverage? Doesn't he just go back to the other team, the anti-Netanyahu team, and begin to get back to where they were before Hamas began the war? Right now, he's the big loser. Bennett's the big loser because the, the people who voted for him because he was right-wing now know that, in principle at least, he was willing to sit with the Arab party. So it's not entirely right-wing. Other right-wing parties refuse to sit with the Arabs. So he's lost those voters. Those people who voted for him because he was anti-Netanyahu realized that there's a chance he would actually sit with Netanyahu. So he's lost those voters. Um, so he's, his political fortunes are not particularly high right now. And uh, recent reports in Israel said that uh, Netanyahu is actually retreating from the offer he had made earlier to Bennett to, to make him prime minister in a rotation. And now that's been do- downgraded because, you know, today, in contrast to, say, two days ago, uh, Bennett's political fortunes uh, are much less and his leverage is much less. So when do we expect to get any kind of hard news as opposed to scuttlebutt about coalition negotiations? Will they all have to be postponed until after the war is over? Yes, probably. And listen, the war may go on for another couple of days, but, um, you know, and eventually and the clock will not have run out on the coalition uh, time period where you can make a coalition. But, uh, and then it depends on, you know, on how, how long the Israeli memories are. <laughs> it, you know, we, we're so used to these different wars two weeks from now, uh, people may not remember it to the same degree that they remember it right now. I'm looking at the pictures now. I'm, I'm, I'm in a television station now, about to go on to Israeli television. I'm looking at the photos of, uh, of Hamas rockets blowing up in, uh, in civilian settlements. Um, the headline now is two killed and two in oh. um, mortal condition just now, just as just when I'm talking to you. So I, I, I'm, I, let me close by this before you have your hit, uh, Dr. Warren. Thank you for joining us. The Democratic Party is split. And the left of the Democratic Party, from Bernie Sanders to AOC, is condemning Israel. And some of them are calling it a racist state, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, are you surprised and disappointed by the fracture in the Democratic Party? Of course, I'm, I'm not surprised, but I'm certainly disappointed. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I see what began as a, as a, as a, as a what Israel was sort of a, a dividing line between Republicans and Democrats. Now it's become a dividing line within the Democratic Party itself. Um, and... Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, we have to do what we have to do to defend our citizens. And Bernie Sanders can write all the op-eds in the New York Times that he wants to, and Peter Biner can write all the op-eds in the New York Times he wants to. Uh, our people are being shot at. And uh, and right now, two are dead and two are seriously wounded. We're going to do whatever it takes to, to defend them. Call us back whenever you can. It's great to talk to you. Be safe. Dr. Michael Oren from Israel this morning. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. 
It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.